Please turn with me for our preaching this morning to John chapter 11 once more, but we're going to be looking at verses 25, 26, and 27 of this chapter that we read earlier. Verses 25, 26, and 27 of John chapter 11, looking at this conversation or this piece of this conversation which takes place between Jesus and Martha as she is just dealing with the loss of her brother Lazarus. And we're going to be looking at this, uh, these three verses under this title, Jesus Gives Life Today. Jesus Gives Life Today. Verses 25, 26, and 27 reads, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now to understand our text here this morning, Jesus is urging Martha to do something, to believe. We need to understand some of what was going on previously in this chapter in John chapter 11. Not just urging Martha to do, but to all. All who are here this morning. All who have ears to hear and eyes To see. The beginning of this chapter, John chapter 11, Lazarus is sick. It is not looking good for Lazarus. Jesus knows this. He's been informed, he's been sent a messenger in verse 4, has been told by Mary and Martha that Lazarus needs help. Now, Jesus comes only after. Lazarus has died. He comes in his own time that would glorify him. You may also notice as you look through this chapter, there's no panic with Jesus. There's no sense of he's out of control because this is the Jesus who is in control of all things. In verse 4, it says this, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. In verse 6, it says this, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Why did Jesus come? He was receiving some Resistance to going back. Well, he came for the Jews of that day. They needed light. They needed light in a day of darkness. For without Jesus, there is only darkness. And dear friends, that light is needed not just outside of the church, outside of the visible church. It is needed also within the visible church. And that light is needed in our lives. Jesus came at a time 
that would glorify and shine forth that radiance that is his glory. Martha, who is the sister of Lazarus, she wonders, could Jesus not have come earlier to save her brother's life? You can see this in verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. It's interesting, isn't it, what she said? If you had been physically here, my brother wouldn't have died. Could you not have saved him if you were here? She feels the pain of the loss of her brother. Lazarus is dead at this point. She feels the pain of that loss. But in the midst of our pain, what does she do? In some way, she diminishes the greatness of Jesus. She does have faith. She has faith in God. She sees that he is special, unique. But does she see in the fullness? Now every Christian person, anybody who professes the Christian faith says that Jesus is unique and special in some way. Even sometimes people outside of the Christian faith will say that Jesus was unique and special. But the question is, what do we mean by special? But of that group of people that will say that Jesus is wonderful and special, how many of them see Jesus for whom he truly is? True God and true man. And this is the man, this is the God who is standing before Martha here in these verses that we're looking at. Martha saw him as a special in that God would listen to him. Verse 22, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. But is she missing something? Is Martha missing something about the greatness of this Jesus who is the Christ? Yes, Martha trusted in God. She trusted in his greatness. She believed the promises of God. You can see in verse 24, she believed in the resurrection on the last day that will come at the end of time. But as we look at these verses, let us think about this. Does she do what many of us do? In the midst of pain, as she was going through pain, in the midst of disappointment even, did she diminish who Jesus was to her that very day? Or do we? As believers today, in the midst of our pains, in the midst of our disappointments, do we lessen what Jesus does today? Yes, we believe. Yes, at the the resurrection. Yes, there's power in the world to come. But today, is he someone who is special, unique, more than a prophet, far more than a prophet? So as we look at verses 25 to 27, Jesus responds in verse 25. We're going to look at it under these four headings. Number one, the essence of life. The essence of life. And the word essence there is the being of life. And that is who Jesus is. He is pure being. He is without beginning and without end in his divine nature. Jesus responds to Martha when Martha says that she knows about the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says this in verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection 
and the life. Now he's responding to Martha speaking very generally about the resurrection. She saw the resurrection hope. She saw that her her brother Lazarus, who is now dead, will one day rise again from the dead. She looked forward to that day. And Martha was right. Lazarus was a believer. He had hope for the future. He trusted in Jesus. He would be raised in the last day at the end of time. But did she limit what she thought of Jesus who was right in front of her? If only Jesus was physically here. If only then Lazarus would have been healed and he wouldn't have died. Question. Did Jesus need to be physically there to heal Lazarus? No. Jesus is true God. True God. And we often can forget that. He fills heaven and earth. Even when he was a baby in the womb, in his divine nature, he filled heaven and earth. That's something very hard for our, to wrap our minds around. I would say even this, it's even impossible for us as mere creatures to comprehend that. The same Jesus who was asleep in a boat during the storm, while he's asleep in his human nature and his divine nature, He's in control of the storm. And it's so easy for us to diminish who Jesus is. He is omnipresent. In other words, he is everywhere. You could drive a thousand miles that way, a thousand miles another way, and you cannot escape the presence of Almighty God. He is everywhere. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He's not just talking generally about the resurrection like Martha is. He's saying, I am the resurrection. Not just that I'm going to have such a special relationship with my Father in heaven that if I ask him that, that he'll he'll respond favorably towards it. But far more than that. And that is true, by the way. But it's far more than that. Martha had faith, but she also had, didn't she have her doubts? Our faith can be weak at times. Our faith can be mixed with doubts, just like Martha's is here. She first complains that Jesus was not there, verse 21. But she still acknowledges the will of God. She still acknowledges the will of God. Jesus is far more than Martha sees. He's far more than any of us see, actually, because he is divine. He is the grave. I am. In his very being, his very essence, he is life itself. Now, we may be alive. We're all alive, aren't we? We're here this morning and we're breathing. But none of us could ever say, I am life. None of us could ever say, I am what life is. Jesus could. Jesus is Today, He is the one, not only his life, he is the victory over the grave. I am the resurrection. And the resurrection, what was that? An open triumph over the grave. Over all enemies. And death is a great enemy. That did not keep Jesus past those three days in the grave. He is life itself. Jesus 
is not just saying that he's alive. He's saying far, far more than that. He is the essence of the being of life. He's pure being who stands before Martha. The essence of life, the essence of victory over death and hell. It is Jesus who is true God who stands before her. The great I am. So he says, I am the resurrection. Now sometimes we can, we can often miss this in our, in our English translations. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The original language is very interesting because you don't have to use the word I. It's strange for us in English. We always have to say I am, he is, she is. But in Greek, you don't have to do that. But Jesus does say I am. Now why does he do that? Why does he put the I first when he doesn't have to? Well, there's a special phrase being pointed out here. Because he is the great I am. We read earlier from Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. He said to Moses out of the burning bush. I am that I am. And it's the exact same phrase in Greek. I am. And he actually says this a lot of times. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. He is God. Now you probably say, did did the Jews understand what he was saying? Well, they did. Whenever he said, I am, he got in trouble over it. At the end of John chapter 8, the end of John chapter 8, verses 56 down to the end of the chapter, reads as follows, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, this is Jesus speaking, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? The Jews are like, come on, you're not even fifty years old. This can't be true of, of you. Verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Same phrase. What did they do when they heard this? Say, so, oh, we don't know what he's saying. No, they said, What happened? They took up stones to cast it at him. They knew in their eyes this was utter blasphemy. That a mere man could claim to be God. But Jesus says before Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am, he said to Martha. I am the one who is life. I am the one who had life and was life before there was ever an existence. Before there was even a world spoken into existence. Before there was light. Before God spoke it into existence. He is the one who is without beginning and without end. And largely because he is also true man. We can diminish, can't we? The fact that he is true God. And this is something I struggled with years ago as well. I remember reading something by somebody years ago saying... Jesus is omnipresent, or he's everywhere. And I struggled with that as a young Christian. I really did. Is that true, I thought to myself. Dear friends, it is true because he is true God. He is that Jesus, the essence of every breath. He's every victory over hell. He's every blessing of salvation. He is, put it another way, he's the very essence of Christianity. 
Now, that might sound obvious to many of us. Of course, he's the essence of Christianity. Take Jesus out of Christianity, what do you have? But so much of the activity in the modern church, could we say that Jesus is the essence of much of the activity that takes place in the name of Christianity? No. We would struggle. Much of it is entertaining. Much of it is for the will of man. But it is to glorify the Son of God. We would struggle to see that. So the essence of life. Number two now. We're going to look at the instrument of life. The instrument of life. Now, does everyone have this life in Jesus? Does everyone, is everyone in union with him? This resurrection and the life. Well, sadly, many do not. What does someone need to take hold of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life? Whom we all need. Jesus said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that believeth in me. Those who believe. Those who believe in him. Not just believe generally about God, but believe in Jesus as their only hope of salvation. Now this is something Jesus is impressing upon Martha. You must have faith. All are here today. You must have faith. It's not just that we give tracts out to the people in the world who are living unclean lives and different things like that. And they're involved in all kinds of sins that would make us feel uncomfortable. And we can often think of the gospel is just for those people out there. Friends, it is for us in here too. Within the visible expression of the church. We may profess the faith, but it does not mean that we have saving Faith necessarily in Jesus Christ. Have we laid hold upon Christ? That he's our only hope. That we have no confidence in ourselves. That the the Jesus we trust in today is the Jesus who is all powerful, all knowing in his divine nature. Do you have faith in this Jesus? Not just, I'm not saying do you have an experience from the past. I'm not saying do you remember when you came forward or signed a decision card or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. Today, are you trusting in Jesus? And to trust in Jesus means to follow him and to obey him. And to forsake sin and to put it to death. Belief is our response to the truth set before us. If we trust it, if we follow it, if we embrace it. Now we lay hold upon Christ by faith alone. And it is not of works. Lest any man should boast. We must make sure that as we talk about our response to the gospel message. To Jesus saying. Well you must believe. He said to Martha in verse 26. Believest thou this? Well we must be careful to note that it is not of works. Lest any man should boast. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast you see Paul writing under the inspiration of the spirit of God to the Ephesians he says through faith and that not of yourself. It, it, 
it didn't come from you. The difference between you and your lost neighbor is not you. It's the power of God unto salvation. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In ourselves, we have nothing to boast about because the, the faith that we possess, possess is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. God took pity on us and helped us. We believe in him, but for those who believe in him, it is a work that God has done in your heart. Do you believe today? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you fled from your sins, seeing how heinous and horrible they are? And you want to give all the glory to God. Praise God. But it is because God took pity on you. See, faith and works, it's a lot like trying to mix oil and water. It doesn't matter how much you shake that oil and water together, they will separate. They cannot be mixed. Either our salvation is all of ourselves. The difference is us, or the difference is God. And it is those who believe. Those who believe. And to believe means you have no confidence in yourself. You don't trust yourself. Now, what if the gospel is placed before you and you say, I I want nothing of this man? Well, that is a response of unbelief. Unbelief rejects Jesus. You wish to contribute to your own rescue. If only something I can do. Oh, but how about this little part? I'll leave the rest to Christ. Well, to play any part in your salvation or to believe you have played any part in your salvation is unbelief. Friends, it is unbelief. Faith is not trusting in yourself. It rejects self. It rejects the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's positively taking hold upon Christ because you see him as wonderful. But when you see something that is wonderful, you say no to that which is horrible. Now Martha grew up in a religious generation, didn't she? I think we can often forget that. A very religious generation of the Jews. And this was the visible expression of the church on earth in that day. She believed in the resurrection as the Pharisees did as well. But Jesus spoke pointedly to her, Believest thou this? Verse 26, Whoever, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Shall never die. And that brings us on to our third point. The barrier to life. The barrier to life. What gets in the way of life? What prevents life? Why did Lazarus die? He was, resur- he was resurrected later. When Jesus said to him, Lazarus, come forth. But at this point, he is dead. Now we can be often mistaken in thinking, well... Death is normal or or natural. Now, it is normal in a fallen world. But pain and suffering and the death that surround us every single day, dear friends, it is not natural. Never natural. It's the result of sin. What happened is God made everything good. He made everything good. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, he made everything good. 
Sin entered in through Adam, and Adam all die. And sin brought the curse of death and judgment. It even said, Jesus even said it here in this text, though he were dead. That's the barrier to life. Though he were dead. And that brings misery. Every time we go to a funeral. Every time perhaps you visit a farm and you maybe see a dead animal. Or every time, maybe even boys and girls who are here, you have a pet who passes away, who dies. It's very sad, isn't it? But every time we see death, it should remind us all of we live in a fallen world. We can get so kind of, oh yeah, that's normal. Death is sad. We even see it later in this chapter, when Jesus saw death, he wept because he cared for Lazarus. Death is a barrier to life. Sin is a barrier to life. Without death, what would happen? If we didn't have death to face, we would live forever. We would never die. Does death sound like a friend? Not at all. It is an enemy. It is an enemy that needs to be defeated and it was defeated by Christ at the cross, if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 and verse 26. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. There's a picture here. Jesus is reigning today and advancing his kingdom, placing his enemies under his feet. The kingdom advances and at the very end of time, Jesus will put death itself, that barrier to life, under his feet. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no death. There will be no suffering. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. Can you defeat death alone? Not at all. Only in Jesus. Now there's lots of groups today trying to delay death. And there's a lot of groups, cancer research and all these kind of things. And there's nothing necessarily wrong by themselves. I'm not saying these things are wrong. But it depends on which hope you put in them. Doesn't it? Life, even this physical, short, temporal life... Is important, isn't it? It is important. Life is a gift from God. Death is an enemy that we will all face one day. And while we should be wise with our health and while we should do different things, it is God who is in control of our final moments. It is God who knows the time when we will die and stand before Him. We are not in control. And if we would just grasp the brevity of life, if we would but grasp that this life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away, as James said. Or that we would grasp vanity of vanities, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. The brevity and the shortness of this life. What will we focus on? We, fo- we live in a fallen world, but we often live 
for a fallen world. We, we spend so much time building up bigger houses and other things. I'm not saying it's not wrong to have a nice house. But when we spend so much time in the here and now. Things that will be dust one day. Young children, young people here this morning. One of the biggest temptations you're going to face is you need a better job. You need a job that pays lots of money. You need to be at the top of this company or whatever. There's nothing wrong with doing well in your career. But the most important thing is not those things. It's the glory of God. And whether you glorify God with the lowest position in society or the highest position in society, make sure that you glorify God because all these things will end. This world, this fallen world, will be changed one day. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. Live for that world, which does not have the barrier of life in it. The older we are around us, the more we feel maybe the aches and pains of life. The more we see the dying, uh, decaying effects of time. Time. Time is one of the greatest gifts that we have. And it's short. What are we doing with it? One of the greatest gifts you can give to your children, parents who are here, time. It's not money. Yes, food and other things, but your time. Your undivided attention. You would listen and share time with them. We're not going to live forever, even though we may act like it at times. We must prepare for the world to come. Everlasting life. Because we will die. We will die one day. So we can't live for this world. And we can't tremble at a death that will happen at one moment. We don't know when it's going to happen. But what we should tremble before is the everlasting death. Hell. How many people walk past us daily or on their way to everlasting destruction? It's absolutely terrifying. And at the same time, friends, all who will go to hell will deserve it. But all who will be brought into heaven through Christ won't. Christ has merited our forgiveness. He's taken away that barrier to life in him. And our final point Our final point here this morning is the promise of life. The promise of life. So we've looked at the essence of life that is Jesus himself. The instrument of life that is faith. Faith alone. The barrier to life that is death. And then number four, the promise of life. And this is the gospel message itself. The announcement of what kind of life? Just life in this world? No, no. Far more than that. He shall never die, the one who believes. Everlasting life. Now we are in possession of something that is so wonderful. What did Martha say in response to Jesus saying, Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I believe. What does she believe? She didn't just believe that, well, you're Jesus. 
Not just that, far more than that. He's far more than any other human being to walk upon the face of the earth. She believed the glorious gospel message. She believed that Jesus is the great I am. She believed that he is the Christ, the son of God. Martha had saving faith. She trusted in the promise of life. She trusted in the content of faith. She trusted in the message of eternal life. She trusted that Jesus was the son of God. She believed the message that Jesus had for her. It was a comfort for her soul even, before, even while Lazarus was dead. There is a glorious doctrine to believe. And I, and I emphasize doctrine here. Doctrine. Because that word is not often... We may think, well, we're in Ulster, we're in Northern Ireland. and We all like doctrine, don't we? No. There's always been a struggle for the truth versus error. There's always been generations apathy towards the truth. And whether these things are believed or not. But the message of the gospel, what has been said that Martha believed, is not just something everybody embraces. They don't. It is not something loved and shared. Jesus in that day, in that day he spoke to to Martha was able to raise her brother. The promise of life today is that this same Jesus is able to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And yes, on the final last day, raise your body from the grave. Bringing you into the new heavens and the new earth. He is the resurrection. He is the life And without him there is no hope. But he is the Christ. Often we can kind of take that that phrase for granted as if it's his second name or it's his surname or something like that. But Jesus is the anointed one. The Messiah. The one Psalm 2 spoke about. The one whom the nations, the heathen raged against. The one whom was promised before in the scriptures. The Messiah. The Savior of the world. And not just that. The Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. Full of grace and truth. Equal with His Father in heaven. True God. She believed this. Now the message of the gospel is not just about... I think we can sometimes just treat it like, well, just it's about avoiding hell. But the gospel is about, and your salvation is about primarily the glory of God. The glory of God. We should be willing as disciples. We want to make disciples of Jesus. We don't want just full buildings. And we would, of course, we would love that, wouldn't we? Full buildings, a lot of people in the church. But what we want... In the Great Commission, the end of Matthew chapter 28, are disciples of Jesus. Obeying whatsoever he commands. 
That's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel saving, the announcement of the gospel. It's about Jesus making his name known, his reputation known. That Jesus is not just some ordinary man. He is the son of God. The only begotten of the father. A lot of the early church knew what that phrase meant. Only begotten of the father. It meant that he was begotten of his father eternally. In such a way that the Son is God. The Father is God. Begotten, not made. Of one being with the Father. Through whom all things were made. The Nicene Creed. It's Him we are telling people about. We're not telling people about some philosopher. We're not telling people about some self-help guru. We're telling them about the eternal God. The word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And rescued sinners from death and from hell. It's all about him. The gospel is all about Jesus. You see, we've got to make sure that we see it as all about Christ. And not just about avoiding hell. Telling people that he is the Christ. What does that mean? The king. It was kings, prophets, and priests were were anointed in the Old Testament. And this is the Messiah they all pointed towards. It's not about avoiding hell. It's about the glory of God. Because otherwise, dear friends, if we think it's all about man's happiness, our religion, our profession of faith will be vain and extremely superficial. And with the least challenge, it will evaporate. It must be about the glory of God. It must be about knowing who Jesus is, the Son of God. Of God, because you know that expression, it's a matter of life and death. This, the gospel, is a matter of eternal life and eternal death, as Jesus said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall live. Verse 26, and believeth in me, shall never die. Do you believe this, dear friends, here this morning? That you'll never die. Not an eternal death, not the wrath of God. You're saved from that in Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. And because it's such a wonderful thing, won't we want to tell other people about it? If we're interested in something, we tell people about it, don't we? Your favorite football team. Your favorite food. What you're doing on holidays. We tell people about all sorts of things. Do we tell people about Jesus? Do we tell people about Jesus? Do we love to talk about him. Do we marvel at how little we know about him at times? Do we marvel at times in times of pain and disappointment like Martha had here? That we too, it's not just Martha who's done this, but we do this. I've done this. Diminish the greatness of the God who gives eternal life today. Jesus who is the same yesterday, today and 
forever. Yes, he'll save you from hell, but he he has given you life today. He is joy and peace and truth today. In conclusion, one of the things that's really burdened me of late is how much time is spent telling the lost about Christ. There's something so sobering and yet horrifying of people who go around living their normal lives but don't know him. What's even more horrifying is they may even go to church and don't know Jesus. They're so focused on the here and the now. What will matter in a hundred years time is not the size of your house, your bank balance, or anything else like that. It's whether you're in heaven or whether you're in hell. Do you know Jesus? Has he given you life? Because it's not just about when you've heard the bad diagnosis from the doctor. It's about today. That you would love to glorify. You see, anything you've said no to, anything you've forsaken is but dust and ashes. But everything you've embraced in Jesus Christ is wonderful. It's glorious. It's forever. And if you trust Jesus, it will never be taken away from you. Never. Not in the world to come. Not in this world even. Jesus will not be taken away from you. If you trust in him, life everlasting awaits the believer in Jesus.